This is Mouth Media Network, the business of being heard. Hi, I'm Leslie Voorhees-Means. I'm the co-founder and CEO of Anomaly. We make custom wedding dresses uh, to fit any bride, size, style, or budget. And what I love about retail um, is the, I love the physical nature of goods and developing and manufacturing that. It's always been incredibly fulfilling to be a part of making tangible things. I think it's um, really motivating to be able to see the results of your work at the end of a hard day. (laughs) From New York City, you're listening to Fashion Is Your Business, covering the intersection of innovation and business in the fashion industry. Hey, everybody, and welcome to the show. I'm Mark Rako, and uh, I'm here, or she's here, or we're all here with Rebecca Fitz. Hi, Rebecca. Hello, Mark. Hi. So how are you faring today, Rebecca, in the, uh, in the, in the world of, of now? In the world of now, no, no waves today, really. I'm, you know what? I, I'm happy. I'm healthy. I'm working. I'm bunkered down on the Lower East Side of Manhattan, um, and we have a beautiful day here. So um, it, it's it's all easy riding. It doesn't mean that something couldn't, you know, <laughs> um, somehow roll out of uh, the, the positive Dolly positive uh, show I'm putting on, like not being able to find a map <laughs> or something before I walk outside. But other than that, I'm I'm great. How are you? I'm good. Have you walked out of the out of your place with no mask and going, oh my God, what have I done and run back in? I haven't, but I've gotten very close to the door and thought, oh my God, you know, it really is the new normal. Um, yeah. And even I do wear gloves, but not, you know, once I get out, I'm okay. But, you know, they say some of the surfaces that are the dirtiest are the railing or an escalator yeah. or your front door for example yeah. so I'm, I'm trying to be very conscious every time i come back in the door from outside i wipe the door down all the knobs and everything okay, I, uh, you're, you're steps ahead of me <laughs> well you know i don't know anyway enough about this stuff yes, exactly. uh thank you I'm glad to hear you're doing well we are also joined here uh who's been patiently standing by as we have our our, our little back and forth our it's COVID leslie update. hi leslie thank you so much for joining us it's, it's such a delight to have you with us thank you so much for hosting happy to be here how's san francisco these days i imagine much the same but what's it like there for you it's uh, pretty lonely right now, so I love our oh. office environment, and so the team's working really well remote right now, but I miss just the, the office vibes, so. I miss my office, too. Gotcha. Oh, well, all right, I'd like to start with this, Leslie. Uh, when I look at your LinkedIn, uh, obviously, you're the co-founder and CEO at Anomaly, and Anomaly is uh, I'll let you unpack it, but you make custom wedding dresses uh, and there's they fit a bride style, size, budget, your D to C. There's a lot more to that story. But what I love is the way you position yourself. You're not an entrepreneur. I mean, you are. You're not a founder, although it does say co-founder. You position yourself as an engineer that's passionate about, and this is what it says on your LinkedIn, product development, design, supply chain, management, and operations efficient. I don't think I've ever seen an apparel co-founder who positions themselves first and foremost as an engineer. So my question is, one, why did you do that? And not that there's anything wrong with it, but I'm curious why you led with that. And second of all, how does that connect with really what your business is and how we understand what it is that you do? Yeah, great question. I So I've always, um, my entire career has been focused in manufacturing and supply chain. And so that's my passion. That's where I fell in love with product development is, is on that manufacturing side. As a girl growing up in Beaverton, Oregon, which is outside of Portland, um, it's also the headquarters of Nike. So I grew up um, kind of in the heart of, um, of Nike and loved it as a company, as a brand, loved their products. And so that was my big dream growing up was to work for Nike and figured um, coming in with, uh, with an engineering focus was the best way to be a competitive applicant because I knew it was really competitive. And 
um, through Nike, uh, you know, got to travel overseas and see the manufacturing side, um, uh, especially in China and Vietnam, and just really, really fell in love with the scale. And also, um, like I mentioned, the tangible nature of, of the job, it's just really exciting to me. Um, and, uh, you know, ended up uh, at Apple after business school, uh, more on the operations side, but again, have just really been passionate about um that development and problem solving um, side of things. And, uh, you know, like you said, I was never expecting to be an entrepreneur. I loved working for big companies, loved working for Nike, loved working for Apple um, and, and the scale. And I think being able to say you work at Apple and everyone knows what that means. Um, I, I really thought that that was um, pretty motivating, but really um, came across the idea for Anomaly um, through my own uh, frustration shopping for my wedding dress. So I got engaged um, uh, when I was still working at Apple and did just a little bit of shopping um, at some boutiques in, in the U.S. and was just really horrified by mostly the prices, but also just the lack of options. And I thought, you know, I, I know my way around a factory. I'm going to find um, whoever makes wedding dresses in China because there's basically most of the world's products can be found there and did a little bit of research and found Suzhou, China, which makes 80% of the world's wedding dresses and ended up partnering with one of the um, workshops there and uh, made my dress for you know, a, a fraction of what it would have cost to figure it out in the U.S. And loved, um, you know, being in, in another factory environment. I'd been in a shoe factory and then a watch factory and now in a wedding dress factory. And it's all, I, I think, similar um, problem solving kind of problems and scale problems and realized that this is something that was, um, you know, other women were feeling the same frustrations as me and thought that there was potentially a business idea behind it and um, did a little bit of research and there was no one doing customized online uh, D2C for wedding dresses and um, decided to to jump in and try my hand with entrepreneurship. And, you know, I, th I think um, the how that's formed, uh, what's important for Anomaly is we've uh, always been really, really involved in our supply chain. The, the quality of wedding dresses, it has to be really, really um, high. And the you know, the specifications that we have for every dress has to be perfect. And that takes a really, really high level of involvement in the manufacturing and also just learning about the product it, itself. It's a, it's a complex garment and, you know, really important for women. And so um, that, that was the, the roots of the um, idea was always just in the factory, you know, me figuring out the best uh, workshops to partner with and then also maintaining the quality. And so that's um, formed who I am as an entrepreneur and also, I guess, the the roots of um, Anomaly itself as a business, just being vertically integrated and super involved um, in the production of custom garments, which is also um, relatively new. There's not a lot of innovation happening on the manufacturing side either. And so that's, I think, a place where um, we're disrupting things as well. How did you decide to go D to C knowing that you have to establish your own customer base versus working? I mean, maybe you did partner with, with other, other companies. I'm not sure, but versus say still offering the customization aspect, but working through, retailers or companies that already had a customer base you could launch with? How did you make that decision that it was worth that risk and additional lift? Yeah, it's it. our model necessitates direct-to-consumer because it's custom, because we want to offer it at an affordable price point. Um, and also a lot of the environment that we were seeing with Bridal once I started digging into the industry a little bit. Um, so David's Bridal is the biggest player in the market. It's like a third of the uh, one in every three wedding dresses are from David's Bridal. They filed for bankruptcy in late 2018 because they're encumbered by the costs and um, you know the, the expense of having the brick and mortar shops and the salespeople. And so to cut out you know those uh, those expenses by centralizing our operations um, and then also just uh, being able to offer tons and tons of options for brides also necessitated something direct to consumer and made to order because inventory is really expensive. And we, um, you know, we're able to offer, uh, we, we calculated over uh, uh, 4 billion combinations of different designs for, um, for brides. And we hear that 
frustration a lot around just not quite finding what she wants in, in a boutique. And, you know, she loves this top from this dress, but loves this skirt from this dress. And being able to combine different components was something that was unheard of and impossible for a brick and mortar store. And so by going direct to consumer, we can address those pain points that, that women are feeling, especially around uh, the design and then also price and uh, fit. So size inclusivity is something that's really important to us and is also hard just with a limited set of inventory um, in, uh, in brick and mortar boutiques. But of course, that brings up more challenges too, because um, brides love being able to try on the wedding dress. So we need to um, you know, get over a big uh, hurdle of trust for brides in terms of um, you know, visualizing what the dress is going to look like on her and um, how it's going to feel, and then um, also understanding you know what it's what it's going to look like on the on the day of. So we're um, you know investing a lot of in technology around visualization and also that fit to um, make sure that brides feel confident uh, purchasing something online. So Leslie, this brings to mind when you you talk about you know. Um... The, the, the virtual experience of selecting a and missing out it is more than the physical the tangible touching of it trying on a um when you speak about consumer experience trying on your wedding dresses is a ritual it's an experience it's a it's it's an emotional moment how have you thought about if at all how have you thought about still being able to play a part in providing that special moment so that people, uh, women doing, going through this process still feel like it can be a community event with their, with their bridesmaids or their mothers, uh, their mother or, 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 you know, whoever's in their life, one, and two, still feel like it's a celebration, a memorable moment. What role have you decided to play in that to make sure that, yeah, you can't touch it at the moment, but you still, uh, it's still going to be special. and We're going to help make sure that that isn't taken from you by the opportunity that this presents. And and the reason I'm asking that question other than general curiosity is I would imagine you found some new customers now that might not have gone in this direction because of the world that we're in now. Uh, if, if they haven't become customers, they're certainly fishing around and exploring you. And they're feeling like they've lost out from what they were going to do. And this is the next best thing. How do you make sure it's not the next best thing, but it's its own unique, amazing thing? Okay, I'm done. Yeah, it's no, it's it's a good question. And it's important too, because I think you hit the nail on the head with it being this community. It's a really social experience, um, at least how the traditional um, shopping experiences set up. And if you've ever watched uh, Say Yes to the Dress, I think brides have this fantasy of what it's um, at least supposed to look like in terms of sipping champagne and trying on lots of dresses and being there with your mom and having like this, you know, um, big aha moment when you try on the one. Um, and I think there, there's two parts. One is that that experience leaves a lot of brides out. A lot of brides um, don't have that, um, you know, thunderbolt from the sky, like this is my dress feeling and um, feel disappointed, less satisfaction, um, because they don't have that feeling and also are left out just in terms of, um, of this, of sizing, um, the average American bridal boutique does not carry the average American woman's size, which is, um, sample sizes, uh, size 12 and the average American woman is a size 14. And so that it's just not possible for a lot of women to even try on dresses, which is outrageous. Um, and so, we're trying to to break the mold in terms of um, how do we still address what's important with those in-store experiences? One is, again, the visualization and the fit component. And then the other part is the social component, which, you know, wedding planning is a very tribal experience and you want the buy-in from mom and maybe your future mother-in-law and sister, best friend, bridesmaids. And so we, um, you know, we're working really hard to develop more and more social components for our experience, which is mainly around like 
what do you think of this design? What do you think of this design? Like, um, you know, this lace or, you know, this lace or this color. We also send physical fabric swatches. And more often than not, we're sending two packages, one to the bride, one to mom, to go through that, um, you know, experience uh, together. This is especially important right now during COVID when bridal boutiques are completely shut. And so that that option isn't even available um, to anyone right now. And we feel lucky because we've been, investing since day one in a remote process and thinking ahead through, you know, what these challenges are. And I think as long as we're, you know, we're, we're not going to replace that experience. I think we can have like our version of um, a better customer experience through, again, addressing the pain points. So women feel um, left out of that experience. Women don't find the perfect design. And so if we can attack those things, which we do really well by offering tons of designs and doing made to order, made to fit, um, custom measurements and, um, you know, really uh, attainable price points versus uh, dresses that can cost five figures in some of these boutiques. And so by highlighting those um, parts that that we can, you know, that we've been building, I think, you know, we're not going to be exactly the same as an in-store experience, but we can offer, you know, more, more value and more options and better fit. So check this out. For more than 15 years and more than 160,000 customers, the number one SMS marketing software, industry leader Easy Texting, has set the standard for business texting platforms. So it's a cloud-based self-service SaaS platform, and it's a top 20 best product for marketers, and it allows businesses of all sizes to reach and engage their mobile audiences. They've sent 5 billion messages to their customers, yes, but what can really move the needle for you is this. Texting delivers 600% more engagement than email. Now, what could you do with 600% more engagement? Look, 90% of people read new messages within 30 minutes, right? And text messages, 134% more likely to be read than emails. So when an online boutique wanted to send their existing customers coupons and information about upcoming sales, they wanted an easy-to-use text marketing platform, and they used easy texting. 89% of customers prefer messaging to communicate with businesses. 77% of consumers have a more positive impression of companies that text. So when a clothing store with a pop-up shop wanted to increase store traffic as well as tell past customers about new arrivals, they used easy texting. In-store traffic increased within just a few hours of their first text. They had positive communications with customers and they saved time. So you come to fashion as your business for valuable business insights and strategy, right? This one is a game changer. Texting allows you to facilitate scheduling, enable staffing, promote products and services and notify customers, and the big kahuna provide an excellent customer experience. So, Fashion Is Your Business is going to hook you up. Easy Texting is offering a free trial to listeners of the Fashion Is Your Business podcast. Just text FASHION to 858-585. Again, that's FASHION to 858-585. Message and data rates may apply for this recurring message program. It's so interesting because here we are on this Squadcast, which is the equivalent of a Zoom. And I imagine had I done my wedding dress virtually, actually more people would have been involved. I'm, I'm the anti-bride. So I actually walked over to a boutique with my husband um, who, you know, is not supposed to see it and said, okay, it's going to be one of these two. Um, tell me which one you like more. But um, to your point on the social point, um, the, the bridal industry, I think has maybe come a little less traditional in a good way. Um, so maybe your mom really isn't into the frills or whatever of the wedding, then you can share it with them kind of how you want to, rather than dragging them down to the pretty lounge in the store 
and making them sip champagne and, you know, putting on an act that, that the, they love it. So I think it, it, it really is interesting. Are you, when you say you're, you're um, working with the social aspect, but there isn't like a um, social media aspect to it outside of what the bride actually does? Yeah, it's more for how do we, um, how do we loop in mom and sisters to the decision-making um, process? And so there's lots of decision points that the bride will have in terms of um, browsing lace options and beading options and, you know, everything from the silhouette to the the color of the fabric. And so we built the process to, um, y- you know, to have that focused on the bride. But since our brides continue to ask like, hey, can, you know, can I share my login with my friend so she can log in and see my dashboard to, to um, you know, view the options that you've shown for me. So it's, um, it's, it's really about like integrating them in, in the digital decision-making process versus right now brides are um, finding their own hacks to share um, with their friends and family, including like screenshotting her sketch and like sending her, it around, um, you know, to, to her friends in their group chat or whatever. But we, what we would love to do is just integrate that as part of our um, experience, given it's so, so important to brides. Right. That totally makes sense. And I imagine you must have live customer experience. Um, it's not just kind of clicking your likes and your dislikes. So I like this, uh, these three um, laces. So send them to me that someone comes on and says, how can I help you? Yeah, we have a team of stylists, which um, they're really knowledgeable about um, about wedding dresses and also just customer service. We've got just a really wonderful, empathetic team. They're all centered in uh, Scottsdale, Arizona right now. So unfortunately, they're working from home, but they have been trained on serving the brides through a remote process anyway. And so that includes um, a design consultation. So that's walking through the design of the dress with, um, with the bride. And actually, we've like, looped in zoom technology now for that um that i'm not i'm not shocked (laughs) (laughs) no we can um so we can screen share so brides can you know double click on like uh certain aspects that they're looking for and then from the stylist side which is kind of cool they can show um a sneak peek into the back end with our technology which is how um the the custom um sketches are created and um the, our logic and our database in terms of um, mixing and matching certain design components. And so the bride can see real-time updates to her sketch and, um, you know, talk with a, a person, which I don't think we're working hard to automate more and more aspects of our process. I don't think we'll ever, you know, automate away the stylist just because it is really important to have that human component to this um, really important purchase and really important decision. A couple of um, really quick questions in there. They, they go to your psyche, I have, I have to say. One is, is um, the some of the jobs that you've had in the past, um, Nike, which, by the way, I love that you're from Oregon and you wanted to work at Nike. I don't come from a hometown where there was a company like that, but the fact that you were in the same town and but you aspired to work there is pretty cool. Um I feel like some of these roles are very um, male focused, even though they may be making male and female items. Um, Am I right or am I wrong on that? Oh, for sure. I was the only woman on my engineering team and one of just a couple at Apple as well. But that was kind of the case studying engineering in undergrad, too. It was not there were a lot more guys than than gals. But I saw that as a plus. It's like, okay, I'm more unique. This is going to help me, I think, longer term because, yeah, because I'm different. Yes, and absolutely. And because men and women are wearing it, I think, you know, um, it's certainly important to have that other DNA, you know, and that left brain, right brain in the room for sure. Um, And then the other thing I would say, since you have this engineering background, and I'll tell you, I actually went to RPI, which is an engineering school for grad school. Um, and it was incredibly difficult and I needed tutors and I figured out I really was, did, did belong in that world. But um, as in any, um, I think, kind of industry, um, you find like the engineer personality and it's really kind of about uh, building things. And I'm, I'm making some stereotypes and kind of, you know, really figuring out the process. Um, 
And it seems like, not that it would be easy, but it'd be more formulaic to do a pair of sneakers or a watch. And there are so many variables um, in bridal. Um, Not even how how are you tackling that? Because I think you've talked a little bit about that. How did you tackle it um, psychologically? (laughs) Yeah, it's, I mean, it's a good question. I I think... I mean, the ethos as, uh, of an engineer is problem solving and embracing problems and loving problems. And that's, you know, what a startup is, regardless of whether it has an engineering component or not. It's problem solving all day, every day. So I think psychologically, that's helped me a lot because you just have to break down walls in terms of manufacturing challenges that come up, but also hiring and fundraising and, you know, all the other um challenges of, of leading something that's, um, high growth and, um, and being a leader of a, of a company, which I had, you know, not managed more than a couple people before. So I think that, um, that spirit definitely helps. And then for the product, it's interesting. So the, and this like takes me back to some of the earlier customers. I mean, when I was first looking into this, and visited the wedding dress uh, workshop factory. It, it looked much different than um, than uh, an Apple Watch factory or a Nike shoe factory, and that there were all these pods that were working on different components of of the dress. Um, and I, I guess that was like what planted the original seed of like, could this be something that is uh, ha- has the efficiency of mass production, but is really really customizable? And what also helped, I think. Um, developed that hypothesis was the first, I don't know, 30 or so customers that um, we were talking to and that ordered wedding dresses from us, which was like friends of friends um, in the early days, the dresses looked really similar, almost the same. Like women were ordering the same dress. It's like, it's white or ivory. There's like lace or no lace. There's um, modules of the dress that can be customized. So like neckline or sleeves or straps, but it was almost always just like different combinations and permutations of the something that was actually really, really similar. And as I looked into it, it, it's, um, it's a product that has a much longer life cycle than say technology for sure. But even like sneakers, running shoes, because wedding dresses don't really change much. They're, they're, um, you know, they're the sleeves and things change and certain components change, but thinking, um, thinking in terms of like, how could this be uh, a mass mass produced garment, um, in, in a custom way, it's more just looking at the pieces that you can interchange. And so that I, I think actually it's like an easier problem to solve. It takes a high, again, a high degree of um, involvement with your supply chain, but um, you know it's it's not as many variables as a typical garment. That's amazing, and now I'm kind of thinking back on it and the to your point, the different um, even just general shapes. Um, this is also a side. So are all the factories everything is white and super clean because the fabrics are so white. Oh yeah. Well, and this is funny when I was looking at some of, uh, when I was sourcing the factories in the very, very early days, it was really easy to tell which ones were high quality and which ones weren't. I mean, this is because I, you know, you would go in a, um, a workshop and uh, be vetting a factory and people were smoking cigarettes everywhere. And, you know, you know that this is not going to be a good match for, you know, a very high quality uh, wedding dress. And, and yeah, the ones that took a lot of pride in the cleanliness, especially given it's a white garment were, you know, better ones to partner with. Right, right. And I love uh, your conversation about price. And I think one of the reasons I also was an anti-bride is that I uh, couldn't wrap and I love clothing. I love fashion. Couldn't wrap my head around um, spending. Again, I think I might have been a little scarred from my Vera Wang days uh, in a good and a bad way. You know, when I worked there, the opening price point for a Vera Wang gown was $10,000. And I I think we lived through 9-11 and we made a softer price point a little below that between five and seven if, if that's softer I'm, I'm probably shocking people back into time here but um i i see why the direct to consumer would um you know back down that price are you I, I guess because you can make it whatever you want you um are you below that and then i can go anywhere above that obviously or up up to it yeah, so our average uh, dress is seventeen fifty right now, one thousand seven hundred fifty dollars, and we're really transparent about um, what 
our price drivers are, which is uh, the amount of fabric that is used and the quality of fabric. So um, 100% silk fabric is going to be more expensive than a blend or a poly. And then the amount of handwork um, that uh, that it requires at the workshops in terms of lace, arranging lace and lace applique, and then beading is our most expensive um, price driver. But, you know, you'll, you'll see that they're significantly less than um, the average, I think, boutique the, the bulk of the dollars in the boutique um, dresses are in the two to five thousand dollar range, and then for designer custom, it's you know five figures at the at the very least. And there are women out there that want a Vera Wang wedding dress, which you know more power to them. But I think a lot of women want um, you know a, a beautiful, unique dress um, and want something that fits them and that's um, special for them. And it is something that you're only going to be wearing for one day. So yeah, it was the same with me. The The price was pretty shocking. And so that was something we really wanted to attack was making sure that the, um, that the prices made sense. That is just, um, I'm, my mouth isn't actually open, but that is an incredible um, average price point for sure. And I, um, I want to say I probably paid more and I, you know, bought it off um, the rack. So that's, that's amazing. And I, I agree with you. I think there are two buckets. There's, if you are a label person and it matters because the Vera Wang is going to be on the inside of the dress, um, but that you, you need to wear that, then you need to wear that. But um, yes, it is a garment for, for essentially one day. So I'm about to go, um, not to the dark side, but is that brides um, who were planning to get married during COVID are, you know, changing their plans. Um, and just, you know, I'd love for you to talk a little bit about how that's affected your business, because you are one of these incredible businesses that, um, God, if I were doing my wedding dress this way, I might just have a Zoom wedding on, you know, my front stoop and, you know, have my parents Zoom in or Facebook, you know, time or whatever. So, um, yeah, and we're hearing brides that. do that. Yeah, yeah, the um, I mean, it's such a shame because brides are having to change their their plans for sure. And I think the what's protecting our business right now is brides still really want to wear their dress. So the the wedding dress is still really really important to them, especially brides that have gone with Anomaly and have invested in the you know the custom route feel really connected to their dress. And so even though the venue is changing or the date is changing or the guest list is changing, if it's going virtual, if it's, you know, being postponed, brides still want to wear their dress. And so, um, you know, we were bracing ourselves for potentially seeing higher return rates or um, seeing a slump in our business, but we feel really fortunate that brides, you know, want to keep their dress. And so the um, the the dresses that have been delivered for the 2020 weddings that are being affected actually aren't impacting our business too much. And then the flip side of that is brides that are coming in to explore their options right now usually have, I mean, the average engagement in the U.S. is over a year right now. And so brides are um, shopping for weddings in 2021. And I think there's a lot of optimism with brides um, that this is going to be fixed by next year. And so, you know, we haven't been impacted in terms of a slump in incoming sales either because, um, you know, because they're for weddings further out in the future. Amazing and and super cool. Um, and it definitely most people. Again, I was the anti bride. I did planned it in four months, but um, I'm I so People who who yeah really put the the time and energy in. So um, I I love that. Um, and it's certainly very telling about um, you know what's going on in the world and and what um, what works. If uh, we could circle back, you you mentioned uh, you asked a question earlier, Rebecca, that had to do with psychology and and had a little bit more to do with Leslie's psychology. But I'm thinking also <laughs> about the psychology of your consumer uh, for your company, Leslie. Uh, and I'm thinking about two different things. One is, you know, one of the things that can come with a relatively unlimited number of customizable choices becomes a a paralysis by analysis, a an inaction by all of the possibilities. How have you thought about this, even from an engineering standpoint, but also from a consumer? Because what happens is, is in a store, you have, you know, that 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 uh, 
the store associate or the bridal uh, shop owner is helping guide that bride to get what she wants while also making sure she doesn't not decide and leave the store but goes to a sale, right? So how how are you thinking about making sure that the bride doesn't get lost by the unlimited possibilities and the overwhelming nature of those choices and guide her in a way that's still her decision and still feels personalized while closing that sale, one. And two, um, how are you um, handling through maybe your communication or your language in that experience, but also the entire interaction to handhold the fact that many brides now are feeling an additional parameter of anxiety about their wedding because of a lot of the things you were just talking about. So those are two different sort of psychological connections to the consumer experience for a bride in one of the biggest and most important purchases of her life. Yeah. And it's, I mean, I could talk about the psychology of our customer all day. Cause I think it's, it's fascinating and it's, um, let's do it. You know, I love it. Let's go. <laughs> break it down. It's yeah. It's um, you know, this, this episodic, but very, very important time in a woman's life. So the, the answer to the first question around, um, you know, decision fatigue um, which is very real, uh, it, especially in you know wedding planning overall, not just her wedding dress, but all of the other decisions that it takes to um, to plan a wedding. And our short answer is data. Um, we are collecting a ton of data, and we've been lucky enough that we've had hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of thousands of women um, sign up for our our dress builder technology, generate sketches, um, answer our our survey questions, which um, you know we try to get down into nitty gritty in terms of, um, you know, frustrations with the current wedding dress shopping experience and what her budget is and, um, you know, what she wants to flaunt or um, hide in terms of her body and like what she's, you know, what she's tried on and what likes and dislikes and all those preferences. And, um, you know, we are building this, uh, well, and one uh, data uh, in terms of the data, brides are really, really willing to share tons of information with us because they are so committed to getting this garment right, which we benefit from, um, you know, for sure. And then that allows us to help more and more brides and we just get smarter as we grow. But it's, um, I mean, we were able to scale the knowledge of a really, really talented uh, bridal, um, you know, boutique specialist that served, you know, maybe hundreds or potentially thousands of brides over a long career. And she, you know, knows all these preferences and body types and um, how to serve the customer. We can scale that through a digital experience. And that, that's what we're doing. I think early on, we probably had way too many options for brides and, um, you know, learned very quickly that it, it helps to guide brides down certain paths. And, um, you know, I, I think even if brides say they don't really know what they want. They kind of do. They've already developed style preferences and they, they've dreamt maybe about a couple different options. And so we can either combine those options or help them, um, you know, iterate on one certain design. And it comes back to the visualization thing. It's all about being able to picture what that dress is going to look like on her on that day. And we can solve that with technology and, and we are, and that's, um, you know, why we're trying to build a really smart um, database to to help predict, recommend, and predict what um, what brides want. We we love um, Stitch Fix over at Anomaly, and so we have we're lucky enough to have a couple advisors from their technology team and also operations team. And it's amazing what they've done with no um, you know physical presence, brick and mortar presence, because they employ way more di data scientists than merchandisers. Like they are banking heavily on, um, you know, their algorithms being able to predict what, what people want and, and they're doing that. And that's, that's like our long-term goal is to be able to get that good at helping brides predict what exactly what they want as well. So that, I, I think that helps with the decision paralysis and, and guiding brides in certain directions um, and like being able to quickly um, iterate on what questions we're asking and just getting better and better as we grow. And then for the for the second part um, around 
the, I, I think the psychology of trust that that's where our humans come in way more, I think, than, than the data piece, which is, um, we just need, we need to have quantitative, um, support and also qualitative. And so sometimes it just means you need to hop on the phone and chat with your, with your stylist for sure. Right now in this time of COVID, I think brides are feeling robbed of, um, you know, the, the in-store experience and a lot of other things. And, um, we've hired for empathy, like above anything else with our stylists and, they, um, you know, they're, they're a support system as well. And so just, um, you know, developing a relationship with, with our brides and having really, really amazing customer service that doesn't just stop at, you know, after a phone call, one design consultation, or after the dress is delivered, being able to continue that um, steadfast support, especially now is, um, is really important. But that's, that's been our principle since before COVID too. I mean, you, um, it's necessary for business because, it, it requires a lot of trust, this purchase, but also it's, um, it's more fun. Like our, our stylists are way more motivated and we have a really happy, um, smart team that connects with customers every day and knows what they're doing is really, really important because of that. A couple of questions, because I come from the physical store part of the business and it is interesting, like Stitch, Stitch Fix has never, I think, talked about having um, a, a physical venue. There are a lot of examples out there. Warby Parker, I think the Everlane founder said he'd never go into physical retail. Is it, um, I know you're a very new company. Is it something that you um, have thought about? Because it does play a component yet right now. Um, we're definitely living in a world where, um, you know, all these retailers are opening up and, you know, what it would be like to try on a wedding dress sample, even just for the shape of it. Um, and then it have to have it go be quarantined for 24 hours before yeah. the next one can try it on. I mean, it's like when I think about those kinds of things, it's a little mind boggling, um, but certainly, you know, I've been, been forced to. So um, just that sheer curiosity on my behalf. I really want to avoid any sort of physical stores. I think it's, um, I, I, I'm highly critical of it. I worry that it's, um, for some companies, it's uh, a way to try and um, milk more growth when you've kind of tapped out online. And I, you, you look at the most um, successful e-commerce companies the, that have actually exited. So like Stitch Fix and um, Amazon and, and, uh, Chewy and Wayfair, and they don't have physical stores. And I think they are better, better because they've really thought about the strategy of not like what's required, um, to not have to have that infrastructure. And especially now, you know, it's, it's some burdensome, um, expenses in terms of the rent and, um, your, your workforce and, my my hope is that COVID challenges leaders to think about, um, you know, potentially misguided omni-channel strategies in terms of um, can we solve this problem through a digital first uh, experience? And that's, you know, that that's what we've done. And I'm I am confident that we can just continue to address the the questions and the um, the, the challenges that brides have with, with buying this online, which again is around visualization and fit, like, can we solve that through a remote model? And I have to think, yes, like the, the visualization components are being able to try on, I mean, we're, we're looking into the, um, like a more developed fit, um, uh, we're calling it fit kit, um, where, where brides can try on the physical pattern of the dress and like be able to visualize and get that fit absolutely perfect. And I just think that we can provide such a, uh, a more valuable experience by staying online and not having that extra expense. So I'm really trying to challenge the team to not think about that, um, in the near term, any sort of physical locations. Yep, the, the the overhead, and it would be a shame for the price point to go up. And it's certainly, I think, furniture folks and other people who have t have taken on um, the physical. It it has actually had repercussions on their pricing. So, um, yeah, for no, sure. And also, really... I think with the, with the market too. I mean, that with the bridal market, you look at the, the David's bridal example, and they filed for bankruptcy because they were encumbered by the the cost of these leases and their workforce. It's really expensive. And the inventory, it's really expensive. But, um, you know, can, like if we're, if we're thinking about, if we've got our sights set on disrupting this industry, we have to think about 
things a little bit different. And by being direct to consumer, we can offer way, way, way more choice. And so, um, you know, and we just need to continue to invest in um, the the challenges that brides have with with trying something new, like buying your wedding dress online. But that's you know, it, which is hard. But that's also I think why we're potentially a venture opportunity is because we can, um, you know, develop some pretty cool tech around um, custom fitting garments and visualization, and um, hopefully that can be applied to other. Um, you know, other clothing items as well, but bridal is a great place to to start just given there are so few options um, uh, in the physical world. Totally. Great. great. All right. Well, uh, why don't we uh, take a pause away from talking business and get into the personal and look at uh, Leslie just for a moment, Leslie, just for a moment on our human side right after this. All right, Leslie, it's time to get to know you personally. Now here comes a twist. I'm going to share serious tips, challenges, and solutions. I'm 36 years old. I founded 21 companies. I'm an Inc. 500 awardee. It's one word. Add, drop, off, ignore. This is Naked Entrepreneur. It happened to me not once, not twice, three times. This is going to happen. Write it down. With Eli Ostriker. Right now, let me focus on my logo. Focus on the website. You f***ing out of your mind. Are you crazy? Rated R. Listen, it's a podcast. Naked Entrepreneur. All right, so Leslie, uh, I'd love to know, are, are, are you married, by the way? I am. I am married to my co-founder, actually. So that was another thing that I was never expecting to do. Oh, wow. so that's amazing. How about that? Uh, okay, so, so let's go there. <laughs> uh, um, I would like to know what Onyx, if you don't mind. I would love to know what unexpected attribute of your husband slash co-founder did you not realize in your boyfriend, then fiance, then husband, that in running a business with him, you discovered that was surprising, good or bad? It's up to you. Oh, that's a good question. I'll go um, to good because it's easy. Good call. (laughs) You might hear this. sees things that I don't. Um, and I think he's, he has such a good, uh, gut sense for, um, uh, our, our team, especially. So the people side of the business, I think I lean towards operations and, um, efficiencies and problem solving. Like I said, I'm an engineer and he, um, has such a good sense for the, the human element. And so problem solving in terms of uh, team issues or recruiting or where we need, you know, where we have gaps, he is really, really um, good at that. So we were a good pair, I think, for um, in terms of seeing, seeing problems. Great. Thanks. That's amazing. And, and I honestly will just do a follow up on that because it's so um, I think it's just fascinating. And I, I know there are other founders who are um, our partners, but um, particularly in the time of quarantine, what do you do apart? Because you're running a business together, you're uh, partners in life. Um, where do you where do you take some time apart? since we've all been in the house with our partners for 74, 75 days now. (laughs) Yeah. I'm not sure if this is the most healthy answer, but we really don't. Um, I think that's why it's a big benefit of, um, uh, and I think why you see more and more startups with um, co-founders that are married or partners, Um, you know, starting a business is is an all consuming thing. And we're probably insufferable to our friends because all we talk about is wedding dresses and startups, but it's, um, we're really, really committed to this and, um, and are aligned that this is how we want to spend our time all day, every day. And so it is, you know, this shared mission and shared goal. So we really are almost always heads down working on it together. Uh, that's by the way a great answer it shouldn't be you know somebody's driving me cuckoo and i need to go out for a 10 mile run so that really if there is a right answer i'm not to question, saying he doesn't that's... drive me crazy <laughs> <laughs> great well that that's a given um 
Amazing. I love that. Yeah. I love that. That's great. Uh, so Leslie, uh, I, I'm dismayed to cut this short because I, uh, I don't too. know. I don't know. I, I, I don't apologize, know guys. <laughs> Real life oh, is no, getting no. in my way. I think this was the length of time we normally go with an interview, but I, I have to say, I'm, I'm, I. I just feel like I want to dig deeper and we didn't get a chance. Maybe we'll get to talk to you again someday. But I will come back anytime. <laughs> awesome. So, uh, Leslie, how can people connect with you and your business, follow you, um, learn more, and so forth? Yeah. So, if um, any of your listeners know uh, women that are engaged or getting engaged, I would definitely refer them to our website, which is dressanomaly.com, D R E S S anomaly, A N O M A L I E.com. Um, I also think the best way to see our, our business and the breadth of the designs we do is just to um, go to our Instagram account, which the handle is just at anomaly. And if you want to talk um, more engineering, supply chain, vertical integration, hit me up on LinkedIn. Um, I love to, to chat about that side of um, operations. And um, again, my name is Leslie Voorhees Means. Okay. Well, Leslie Forrest Means, thank you so much for joining us. It was such a pleasure. So great to meet you and learn about your business. You've accomplished so much. I have a feeling you're well positioned for a very, very bright road ahead. So I can't wait to see what you accomplish. Yeah, Yeah. me too. Thank you so much for hosting. It was great to be here. Excellent. Yeah, I think they're going to go, okay, let's see. In the same breath, it's Apple uh it's it's nike it's anomaly see yeah. that's, that's how it's gonna go that's good uh, yeah grand recognition <laughs> that's right uh that is so thanks again uh and thank you rebecca always uh, great to be uh well we're not sitting beside each other but to to look at you and talk with you and enjoy the experience right back at you thanks mark and that is it for this episode everybody thank you so much for listening we surely do appreciate it it means so much and we hope you got something out of it and we hope we'll see you again soon until then uh, i'm mark rako have a great day bye-bye this has been fashion is your business produced by mouth media network copyright 2020 keep in touch on instagram and facebook at mouth media network And find prior episodes at fashionisyourbusiness.com and wherever the best podcasts are found. Thank you for listening. This is Mouth Media Network, the business of being heard.